Good morning again. Um, so for those who don't know or are new to King of Grace, um, Pastor Paul Buckley, our lead pastor, is uh, typically the one who preaches on a Sunday. This morning Paul is uh, providing pulpit supply at a uh, church in New York. Uh, for those of you who remember uh, Mike and Sarah Mills, or Sarah Gruen, when she was our church administrator, it's their church and they're part of the Gospel Coalition, which we are part of. And so Paul has an opportunity to serve that church um, preaching there to this morning. Um, but last Sunday, if you were with us, um, you would have heard um, Paul introduce our summer message series in called, entitled Worshipping God Together, where we're going to be considering um, from God's Word various aspects of our corporate worship together, uh, where we worship God primarily in and through our Sunday service. And this morning, being the first um, message where we get into the specifics of that series, uh, we're going to start in what hopefully is a logical place. We're going to be worshipping how we worship God with the Word. Hopefully that's logical for a couple of reasons. Um, first and foremost, as God's revealed Word to us, it should be the primary place where we go to look to learn about Him and His ways. And so it, can, it makes sense, I hope, um, to look at God's Word and how it its place in our worship. But I think secondly as well and perhaps practically, um, the place of God's word in our Sunday services um, is perhaps one of the primary things we think about when we gather together on a Sunday service. It is perhaps what people think most about a Sunday, um, Sunday service, even when whether you're in the church or outside of the church, um, the preached message is something that um, perhaps in the Western churches in particular it's something that's first and foremost in our minds, thinking about Christian church. So, we're going to start this morning with worshipping by the word. And although the main focus will be in application to preaching, the principles that we'll see um, will apply to how we handle God's word throughout our service together for the time, from, from the opening call to worship, um, to throughout the use uh, of God's word in our songs that we sing, in shaping our corporate prayers, in preparing our hearts for communion, uh, through to the very final benediction. Um, although each one of those elements, or some of those elements, we're going to have separate messages on as well as we go through our series. So this morning, let me ask you a few questions to get us thinking about this subject of God's word, and particularly preaching, in our time together. How would you explain to a friend or a neighbor, what preaching was if you were considering inviting them to church? How do you explain to your children on why we listen to the preacher each week and expect them to do the same? Is preaching simply part of our church tradition? This is just something we've always done. Or is there something more fundamental about preaching? Perhaps, how would you go about correcting perhaps a popular misunderstanding of what preaching is that is often held outside of the church? If you go to Google to uh, look for your definition on what preaching is, after one or two perhaps more objective definitions, that, that gives you this response, that preaching is giving moral advice to someone in a pompously self-righteous way. So if we can't give a better explanation than that, it's no surprise that it's not particularly popular, particularly outside of the church, perhaps. And then if you then go on to explain that in this church, preaching is about 40 minutes long, do you do that with some reluctance 
Or do you do that with confidence and enthusiasm? Well, thankfully, we're not beholden to Google's definition of the things of God, but we look to Scripture. Um, but even as Christians, it's, we have probably valid questions in understanding what shapes our Sunday mornings and why do we give such emphasis to preaching? Why do we give it the time that we do? Would it not be just as edifying to spend longer in worship through song? Or should we just cut the service shorter and just get to the potlucks a bit quicker? Why do the pastors give so much time during their weeks in preparation for preaching? Because they do. When they could be doing so many other very worthwhile things in the life of the church. And perhaps in terms of other communication that we see around us, and in the age of technology in which we live, aren't there more effective means of communication or other means of media and effects that we can use to make preaching more engaging or more exciting? I mean, what makes preaching any different from, say, a TED Talk, if you're familiar with those? Or what about a, just an engaging college or school lecture? Perhaps all of these Questions kind of are summarized by asking ourselves, why do we give so much attention to God's word during our worship services, and how should Christians think about preaching in particular? Now, obviously, we come to that question as 21st century believers with certain specifics from our age and from our culture in our minds, but we should recognize that the question of preaching and God's word has one, been one that has faced challenges and questions throughout church history. And it's natural for us to compare preaching and the handling of God's word to other methods and other styles of communication in the cultures around us. And we see that in the New Testament. In the Greek culture in which the early church was growing, public speaking of different sorts was highly praised. Preachers were followed and valued based on their ability to employ all the different skills of rhetoric and other ways of communication as they spoke movingly about any number of philosophical, religious, or perhaps political subjects. And their success and their popularity was not based on the content of their message. It didn't really matter whether it was helpful or wise or even whether it was true or false. But what was important then was on the style or on the delivery of their presentation. Delivery and style were far more important than the actual message. And inevitably, this style or this focus in the communication and celebration of the speaker influenced the early church. People were either saved out of that environment, or at least it was what was surrounding them. And Christians, Christian churches, were asking, why don't we adopt some of these styles and methods in our church life and in our uh, corporate gatherings? Why not use what seems to be some of the best or the most popular methods of speaking and communicating to proclaim what is the best message to communicate? Well, this morning, we get to hear how God answers those questions and those ideas through the Apostle Paul when he wrote to the Corinthian church. 
because that church was immersed in that culture and facing those very same questions. So um, turn in your Bibles uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Um, we have that to project as well, but I encourage you, if you have a Bible, to, to have that open in front of you. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to get one to you. Um, so perhaps you can raise your hand, or there are Bibles in the, the back uh, uh, room there, over there. And we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, um, verse, starting in verse 1 through to verse 13. We're going to use this as our main passage of reference, although we are going to look at a few other passages to see how God would answer these questions around biblical preaching and how we should respond today. Before we read, let me pray and then turn to God's word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word which speaks to us in all of life. And on this subject of how to handle your word, how to think about your word and the subject of preaching, I pray that you would help us this morning to think rightly and see you clearly and what you'd have to say to us. Help me to speak clearly, help us to listen attentively and to be changed and aligned with your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So turn with, read, read with me as I start in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. The apostle writes, and, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and in power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the wisdom of God. There's a bird in the sanctuary. We'll, we'll continue on. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have, not received, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. I encourage you to keep that passage open in front of you as we continue to look through it. It will serve us and uh, serve you as we, we reference that passage. And as we consider this text and other texts as well, we're going to hear how we worship God by attending 
to the preached word of Jesus Christ. And in particular, we worship God by his word as preaching is God's means of speaking about his son. We worship God by his word as preaching is God's means of speaking by his spirit. And we worship God by his word as preaching is God's means of transforming his people. So first of all, we worship God by his word as preaching is God's means of speaking about his son. Paul uses two very similar words with very similar meanings throughout his, this passage and in the previous chapter, actually. He kind of interchanges preaching and proclaiming in our verses, chapter one of our verse, sorry, chapter, verse one of our chapter. He uses the word proclaiming, but he uses the word preaching in chapter one as well. And throughout, he uses these words interchangeably almost 60 times through all of his letters. So you can see it is a, a key element of focus for Paul's ministry and communication to the churches. Now, I concede that when Paul uses these words, he's not picturing King of Grace with this building and a pastor standing in front of you and preaching for 40 minutes necessarily. He does have a broad application in mind, and from his own experience, we know that it, talk, it means preaching and speaking in synagogues, to home churches, speaking in marketplaces, before audiences who are both Christian and non-Christian. He certainly has a very broad application in mind, but I think it's fair and justified to consider what we do here on a Sunday morning, a particular focus or application of what he's talking about. And so what he speaks around proclaiming and preaching has something to say to us this morning on this subject. And from the beginning of his passage, we see that Paul is very conscious of these popular styles of communicating that were present in his day. And yet, rather than adopt them, Paul was actually deliberate not to use them. He was deliberate to distance himself from them. We see in verse 1, and I'll read verse 1 and then 3 and 4. He says, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. And then verse 3, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. Paul's reference to lofty speech and words of wisdom is an allusion back to chapter 1 of his letter, where he's already said, God has made foolish the wisdom of the world. And the apostle elaborates in chapter 1 of what this wisdom of the world looks like. Paul's surrounded by different voices that reflect this. On the one hand, he's facing Jews and the scribes of his day who were open to hearing about traditional religious values and a moral code as long as it was one that they could live by and feel good about themselves. And on the other hand, he stood before the Greek philosophers and the debaters who were keen to talk about uh, and solve the world's ills through politics or science, perhaps, or education. And particularly among that group, there were those who really weren't overly concerned about what you talked about, as long as how you talked about it was really impressive. How you presented the message, the delivery, that was what was important. And Paul knew that in the midst of that context, God had given him one message to preach. 
And it was a message that went both against the content and the style that was expected by the world around him. He tells us very simply in verse 2, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And it's the combination of those words, Jesus Christ and him crucified, that was so countercultural in those days and really should be countercultural to us today. The problem is, is we're very used to those words. But certainly in Paul's time, it was a problem, a major problem for both Jew and Greek alike. You see, Jesus Christ, Christ meaning Messiah, God's anointed one, God's coming king and savior. But then crucified, nailed to a cross to die. And not just to die as in any other means of dying, but to be killed in a way which was amongst the most, if not the most, despised method that society could come up with at that time. It was a sign of public shame and humiliation. And to the Jew particularly, the cross, according to God's word, was a sign that the person was under God's curse. And that's why, on face value, those words, Christ crucified, were a stumbling block to Jews, an obstacle to believing that this person, Jesus, could be the Son of God, because how could the Son of God bear God's curse? And it was folly to Gentiles, because how can you seriously respect someone and value their teaching who's numbered with the lowest criminals of society? And yet the Apostle Paul doesn't shirk or skirt around the issue. He is crystal clear on how focused he is on the message that God has given him to proclaim. Now, he doesn't literally limit himself to just those words when he preaches. After all, he wrote half of the New Testament almost, so we know he had a lot to say. But what he means is that everything that he said, everything that he preached, centers on and comes back to this. Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's one of the things that distinguishes biblical preaching from any other type of message. It is this content that we preach Christ and him crucified. All of God's word has one essential message. The gospel or the good news of a crucified Jesus. The message that Paul preached wherever he went and to whoever he was speaking to was the gospel of Jesus Christ. That all of mankind, whether Jew or Greek, whether male or female, young or old, you and I, we have all sinned against God and rejected his rule and his rightful role in our lives as our creator. And as such, we have all stored up for ourselves God's right and fair judgment, which carries with it a fearsome and terrifying punishment in the day that God would hold us to account. None of us can erase that bad record, nor can we kind of tip the scales in our favor by building our life on a life of good deeds, because even our very best efforts fall short of God's holy and perfect standards. 
in light of this situation, our only hope is to throw ourselves before the mercy of God and to look to him for some means of salvation. And the message that Paul preached is one of such hope. That Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, sent out of the love and the mercy of God, lived the perfect life that we could not live, and yet then was crucified. But he was crucified not for anything he had done, but was crucified for our sins, bearing on that cross the burden and punishment that you and I deserve, God's punishment against those sins. And yet we know also that three days later, he rose to the fullness of new life, declaring once and for all that what he came to do is accomplished. And so now all those who would believe and accept such news as good news, and not just good news, but good news for me, and good news for you, who would repent of their sins, specifically of your rebellion against God, and trust that Christ died for you. Turning away from those things that reject God and put him somewhere else other than number one in our lives. If we do that, we can have every confidence that we are no longer destined to perish before God's judgment that we are saved to enjoy the fullness of eternal life with him now and forevermore. That's the message that Paul preached and saw all of God's word pointing to. Unless we think that Paul was simply oversimplifying the Bible by bringing it to this central truth, we actually hear the exact same message from Jesus himself. Look with me at the last chapter of the Gospel of Luke. We have these verses to project, I think. Luke chapter 24, verses 44 onwards. The risen Jesus Christ appears to his disciples, and he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms that's a way of speaking around all of the Old Testament, that everything about, written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. That's why at King of Grace Church we enjoy a rich diet of preaching from all of God's word, from the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. We typically preach through a book in its entirety with the knowledge that rightly understood we will always cite the crucified Christ and his gospel wherever we are in his word. It's not that the ultimate goal is to simply make some sort of connection to Jesus and the cross, though, like some sort of biblical, where's Waldo? Like, oh, where's Jesus in this passage? There he is, great, now I can move on to the next one. Pastor and author Brian Chappell wrote this in a book on preaching. <clears throat> he says the goal is not to make specific reference to Jesus magically appear from 
every camel track of Hebrew narrative or every metaphor of Hebrew poetry, but rather to show where every text stands in relation to the person and work of Christ, whose grace alone achieves our salvation. <clears throat> so the Bible preacher is primarily asking of a passage of, uh, of God's word, how does this text predict the person and work of Christ? Or how does this passage prepare us for the person and work of Christ? Or maybe reflect Christ's work? Or maybe result from his work? When we frame it in that approach, we're always looking to see how does this text point us to Christ and him crucified. That's how Paul understood the message that he had been given to preach. And maybe that's a message which you haven't heard before or one that you haven't received. That the Bible has this singular and simple message. That you need to be saved from God's punishment for your sins. And no method nor man, your effort, or somebody else's can save you. Maybe you've heard this message, but just have not received it for yourself. Well, here again this morning, that the gospel of Christ crucified is able to save you, and is the only means of salvation. I implore you, if that's you, maybe you're at home, listening online, maybe you're here this morning. Listen and receive that message again and recognize, recognize that it is an invitation from God himself, an appeal to receive his grace and mercy before it is too late. I'd love to talk to you about that more if that, you have questions and please so free, reach out to me afterwards. I'd love to talk with you. But as Christians as well, what does this mean for us? It means that we can be encouraged and we can trust God to work through preaching. Preaching isn't just for certain types of people, for those who like a good long message, who are perhaps religiously inclined. Those friends who might, you might think will receive it positively. Preaching the gospel is God's means of bringing salvation to every type of person. And we can have confidence that God intends to use the call to save some through hearing and believing in this message of Christ crucified. So, although we want to be sensitive to how we present and, what we, and the words we use, we don't need to overthink the process. We just need to be faithful. Faithful to trust, faithful to pray, faithful to speak that message, maybe by yourselves, Maybe by inviting people to church to hear it preached here Sunday after Sunday. And because of that message, Paul knew that he could not adopt the contemporary communication styles of his day. Because those styles essentially sought to make much of the preacher. And Paul knew that to make much of himself was to undermine the very essence of his message. He could not make much of Christ as the only hope of salvation while also seeking to make much of himself as a great speaker. 
In fact, he was quite willing and content to be seen in weakness and in fear and in trembling, as he says in our passage, because he knew that that would mean there could be no mistaking the greatness of his message with any confusion about whether Paul was great himself. And your pastors seek to be faithful to the same biblical principle when we preach and handle God's word today. Our goal should never be to impress you with our skill of Bible exposition or how well we've crafted a message or with how applicable contemporary illustrations or applications are that we can make. And your goal in listening to preaching should not be primarily to provide us a score out of 10 of how we did in each of those areas. Although, in fairness, it doesn't mean that those things are unimportant. Again, we want to do those things well. We want to be able to communicate God's word faithfully, so we do need to do hard work of gospel exposition. We want to be able to craft our message well so that it's easy to follow and easy to hear and easy to understand. We do want to craft our messages so that it applies and we see the application very clearly to our lives today. But those things are not meant to be where we land and the only things we, we take away from God's message. Rather, for all of us, the goal and the desire of God's people should be that the gospel and Christ crucified is clearly presented and seen, that we see our Savior as glorious as he is, rightly out of the pages of the Bible. And that in seeing him, we grow in our love for him as we see and as we experience his grace and his mercy afresh and worship him with our lives. One preacher summarized the preaching task this way. He said, the preacher is a nobody trying to tell everybody about a somebody who can change anybody. The preacher is a nobody trying to tell everybody about a somebody who can change anybody. There's a story that illustrates that very well in the life of Charles Spurgeon, a 19th century preacher in England. This story is taken from Arnold Dallimore's biography of Spurgeon, and he writes this, that during the 1880s, a group of American ministers visited England, prompted especially by a desire to hear some of the celebrated preachers of the land. On a Sunday morning, they attended the city temple where a Dr. Joseph Parker was pastor. Some 2,000 people filled the building, and Parker's forceful personality dominated the service. His voice was commanding, his language descriptive, his imagination lively, and his manner animated. The sermon was scriptural, the congregation hung on his every word, and the Americans came away saying, what a wonderful preacher is Joseph Parker. In the evening, they went to see Spur hear Spurgeon at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. The building was much larger than the city temple, and the congregation was more than twice the size. Spurgeon's voice was more expressive and moving and his oratory noticeably superior. But they soon forgot about the great building, the immense congregation, and the magnificent voice. 
They even overlooked their intention to compare the various features of the two preachers. And when the service was over, they found themselves saying, what a wonderful Savior is Jesus Christ. May that be what is said by all of us as we worship God by his word, Sunday after Sunday. The second point that we see from the passage is that we worship by the word as God's, as preaching is God's means of speaking by his spirit. In verse 11, he writes, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person? which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received, the, we, sorry, we have, not, we have received now not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might rightly understand the things freely given us by God. Paul is saying that we worship God as we know and experience him through his Spirit that comes through the preached word. And this is a profound difference to any other form of communication that we might encounter in our lives, in any other sphere of our lives. Paul is saying, and hear this, Paul is saying that the preached word of God is God speaking to us by his Holy Spirit through a qualified man. And if we had not already seen that Paul's desire is to make nothing of himself so he doesn't get in the way of his message, we might be tempted to think that Paul's getting a bit of a big head at this point. That he's saying God's word is, is what you hear when the preaching occurs. But we've seen that Paul is not thumping the pulpit and arrogantly declaring, listen up, when I'm preaching, God's talking, so pay attention. That's not the tone that Paul is using here. But those are the words of the essence of what he's saying. And if we think about them correctly, they actually give us poor cause to greatly rejoice and to worship God. In verse 4, he says, My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. When Christians hear the word of God preached and the gospel proclaimed and applied to all of life, God intends for us to have a supernatural experience. One that men, either preachers or hearers, are quite incapable of producing by ourselves. But God intends his people to experience his spirit through preaching, both to confirm his presence with his people and to confirm his power towards his people through his spirit. The gospel message that we've already heard already conveys the power of God, the power of God to overcome sin in the world and in our individual lives, the power of God to overcome the devil and his schemes, and the power ultimately to overcome death through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But in preaching, the power of the gospel is also accompanied by the power of his Holy Spirit. So that Paul says our faith 
is not in the eloquence of a speaker or their ability to take us on some sort of emotional roller coaster with their words. But as God makes clear, his power and the glory of the preached gospel, he confirms these things through his Holy Spirit. And we can't help but say, after hearing preaching, I will trust him. My faith is in God. I will follow him and no other. I give my life to him and submit my life to him. For he alone is able to save me. And he alone is able to change me. And he alone is able to keep me to the end. And when that's our expression in response to hearing the preached word of God by his spirit, we worship God in a way that is befitting who he is. We worship God by his word as preaching is God's means of speaking by his spirit. And that brings us to the third point, that we worship God by his word as preaching is God's means of transforming his people. How is this power of God shown through the preaching of the gospel and by his spirit? Does it mean that we are meant to have some dramatic experience or that something hugely significant is meant to happen? Should you perhaps feel something while you're sitting in your chairs? Well, we have the book of Acts, which shows us what the early church looked like when they sat under the preached word. And there certainly are some very significant examples of dramatic things happening after the preached word comes upon them. Sometimes those who believe the message received pronounced spiritual gifts, sometimes prophecy or tongues. Sometimes someone who believed the message was miraculously healed. God can and still does communicate and demonstrate his presence and his power in similar ways and other miraculous ways today. But the most common way that we see throughout church history, we see God's power demonstrated through preaching, is through those who hear and believe the message, receiving the power to live transformed lives that they see by faith in what they hear, the glorious Christ, and choose to follow after him and submit their lives to him, renouncing ways that perhaps don't follow after him. Let's look at a different passage now in the Apostle Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church, where we see this very clearly. They have these words to project. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. As we hear God speak of his glorious Son and the gospel and receive power by his Spirit to follow and to obey God, we worship him with our lives as we are transformed 
degree by degree, further into the image of his children. In this way, the effect of preaching and our worship of God on a Sunday morning spills over from our Sunday morning into our Sunday afternoon, into our Monday morning, and into our Tuesday and Wednesday and onwards. As we seek to bring our lives under God's word by his power, not our own, as we seek to conform our thoughts, our attitudes, our behaviors to him and to his word. And as we are more and more shaped by our faith in him and in his ability to change us as he desires for our good and for his glory. So let me close with just some practical points of application from what we've seen here. Let me first of all encourage you to please continue to pray for your pastors, and I'm so grateful that you do. But some specific ways in which you can pray for Pastor Paul and myself, that we would be full of faith as we come to the preaching task, to preach God's word boldly, even though sometimes we are very painfully aware of our weaknesses and our inability to bring about the transformation that God intends from his word. But it's right that we feel that weakness. And in that weakness, not to give up or despair, but to press on in faith, keeping our confidence in the power of the gospel and of his spirit. And that we will be alert as well to temptations to seek to adopt worldly wisdom, not as a manner of conveying the message more clearly, but in a manner to make us look more impressive to you. That's not our heart. Our heart is to present Christ as impressive to you. Let me encourage you also to pray and to come prepared as you sit under the preached word. Come with humble anticipation. Come with humble anticipation for God to speak. To speak to you about his crucified son, Jesus Christ. Come with humble anticipation and eager expectation for God himself to speak with the power of his spirit that is more than sufficient to meet you in any need that you have, to overcome whatever difficulty and struggle, trial, external or internal that you are facing. And that he will give you every means of grace to live the life of obedience and faithfulness to him as he teaches you week in, week out how his grace is sufficient for you. And let our worship continue beyond the Sunday service as we continue to reflect on the preached word after the short time we have together on a Sunday morning. Whether that's by ourselves or whether that's with others, with family and friends after church, or in the week, not primarily to share our opinion or our discussion about whether we thought it was a good message or not, but to talk about what does it mean to submit to God's wisdom and to God's power in our lives? What does it mean to live transformed lives as his children? And how can we come alongside one another to help each other in that exercise? We... Um, had wanted to give you a, a booklet uh, today, but I'm afraid they haven't arrived in time. But next week, hopefully, they'll be here. 
Um, just a little booklet, but it's just immensely helpful, called Listen Up. Subtitle, A Practical Guide to Listening to Sermons. As far as I'm aware, it's the only book that I've come across that's based around this. Lots of books to tell you how to preach. Not many books to tell you how to listen. Um, I found this incredibly helpful for myself, and Pastor Paul and I would love to get a copy of this into your hands. So hopefully that's here next Sunday. Uh, very helpful guide. Um, we encourage you, if you haven't got that, um, to take one home for you and, and for the family. And maybe read that, read that together and think about how um, you can come prepared and sit under God's word in a way which is going to help you and bless you. We worship God by attending to his preached word, as preaching is God's means of speaking about his son. It is God's means of speaking by his spirit, and it is God's means of transforming his people. Let's pray.